Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's lovely to be back, everyone. Um, my name is Andy. I lead the, the Heaton site. Um, I was involved in helping here many years ago, so it's great to be back and, and see you all uh, this evening. Um, I, I want to start by asking the question. Anyone, it's a bit of a boring question. Anyone ever had like an electrical problem at their house? <laughs> yeah? Hands, hands up who's attempted to resolve it themselves. Yeah, basically every hand has gone up. <laughs> Some of you sensible people don't, and what you do instead is you actually call someone out who can actually fix it. Well, I am one of the first type of people. I had a, a problem in my house. We had a, a light switch in our kid's bedroom. It just wouldn't work. And everything I tried, I tried to solve it so many times. Everything I tried, I just could not get this light switch to work. So I had to give in, and I called out the electrician. He came out. He's been a number of times before when I've had issues. Uh, but this time, when he came out, it was a few months ago, he came with an apprentice. Okay, young lad, must be 16 or 17, came with him. And it was, it was, oh yeah, that, that was not them actually. That's like, I don't know, something from some website somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah, but it was a young guy and they came out and it was really cute actually. I was like, you're really cute. But basically they had this problem and they had to solve this problem. So the electrician goes and he gets out his little gizmos and stuff and tests all the wires and all this kind of stuff. What do you think it could be this? And then, and then he gets his apprentice and says, oh, do you want to have a go? And he comes in and has a little go and does some kind of test and stuff. And then the, the, the electrician steps back in and he does a few more things and he asks the apprentice, what do you think? Do you think it could be this, it could be that? And it was, it was quite nice to watch, quite sweet. And I was a little bit like, okay, hurry up, just sort the problem. But what was nice was that they were solving the problem, they were fixing the issue, but at the same time, the whole time, the electrician is teaching this young guy how to be an electrician, and the whole time, this young guy is learning from the electrician about how to be an electrician, and it was, it was just really nice, and I was thinking, and maybe it's because I'm a church leader, I'm a preacher, or whatever, but I was thinking, it's, that's kind of like what being a disciple of Jesus is like. It's like being an apprentice to a teacher. That's kind of what it's like. And it's, that's what we've been, well, I assume it's what you've been looking at in your series, I've been told, in these last few weeks, right? Path of discipleship, yes. We've been doing the same one at the Heatons. Um, and you've been looking at, well, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. Yes, correct? Good, yes. Now, what happens when we become a disciple of Jesus, when we become an apprentice of, of, of Jesus First thing, you spend time with Jesus. I mean, that's a given, isn't it? Next, what you do is you you listen to him. You follow his instructions. You learn to do the same things that he did. That's what being a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus is all about. And if you do that consistently over time, what gradually starts to happen, and you normally are not the first person to notice it. Normally, it's other people who notice this. But what gradually starts to happen is you start to become like Jesus. That's how it happens. That's how it works. You become like your master. And that's what we're going to look at this this evening. We're going to look at what it means to become like Jesus. We're going to look at becoming like Jesus. And what I want to do this evening is just focus in on four super short parables that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6. And I want to use these four parables to basically get us to all ask four questions of ourselves. And I think that when we ask these questions or think about these questions ourselves, it's going to help us become 
more like Jesus. It's going to help us on our path of discipleship. Now, the four questions are, number one, who are we following? I mean, not who do you think you're following. Who are you actually following in life? Number two, what are our blind spots? We all have them. What's in our heart? And what are we going to do? Those are the four questions I want us to focus on this evening, and then we're going to hand back to Dana and continue to worship. So first question. So who are we following? Jesus says this, Luke 6, verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? What do you think? No. Mm-mm. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants a response when he's, when he's asking this. Will they not both fall into a pit? Will they? Yes. They're not going to end up anywhere good. Verse 40, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And Jesus, when he shares this parable, he's talking about the Pharisees. So he's talking about the Pharisees. So there were lots of people who were spiritually blind then, and you had this group of people, the Pharisees are like, oh, we know what we're doing, and they're trying to guide people. But what Jesus said is, these guys are spiritually blind as well. It's blind leading the blind, and it's not going to end up good. You need someone to guide you who has their eyes opened. Now, I think what's really helpful about this parable is it, it makes us ask a question of ourselves, which you can't really avoid, and that is, who are we following in our own lives? Whose guidance are we influenced by? Whose voices do we listen to in life? Now, in the new year just gone there, I was uh, on Twitter, scrolling through my Twitter feed, and I came across this guy, American guy, who... I don't know how I came across him, but he, he recommended a bunch of, of books, um, books that he'd read in 2022, best books he'd read in 2022. Yeah, okay, there's some cr- good Christian books on there that I've read. Some cool. So I took a note of the books that he recommended. So, okay, I thought that's good. And then he also recommended a bunch of podcasts, the best podcasts he'd listened to in 2022. So it's like, okay, so I took a note of some of them. All right, I'll check those out. And then he also, he also recommended the 10 most worthwhile, useful people that he follows on Twitter. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I took note of them, and I basically followed. There were 10 of them, followed all 10 of these, these guys on Twitter, mostly Americans. Um, and yeah, I thought, okay, that's fine. This guy seems to like them and finds them helpful. And I noticed that they kind of, you know, very soon, they were very much in my Twitter feed, okay? Now, for those of you who know me, my Twitter feed basically revolves around the Ukraine war and church leader chat. Okay, those are the two things. It's weird, like, how they're interspersed. It's, you know, like, how to do church, and then, like, the Russians bombing. You know, it's, it's, anyway. But all of a sudden, you've got these 10 guys that are interspersed in my Twitter feed. And, 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 and it was interesting. They're kind of, they would offer kind of lots of advice and things about doing life and how to do this. And a lot of them were business guys and how to start businesses, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, okay, some of it's all right. Some of it's interesting. And, but I noticed after a few weeks of kind of scrolling through Twitter, and I don't go on it that often, but um, I was going through, I think, I'm getting a little bit discontent here, but I don't know what it is. It doesn't feel good. And when I thought about it, I realized that actually a lot of these guys and the advice that they were giving on Twitter was, was kind of like, uh, you know, how to have an awesome business in three easy steps. How to make a million dollars in, you know, five. Is that, you know, that kind of stuff. There was some good stuff, but then there was all this kind of like, and what they were doing was they were sowing discontent. They were basically saying, yeah, your life's not good enough. You need to do all these things to make your life better. And as I scroll through, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not feeling good. And then I realized, what's the Bible say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm like, these guys are making me discontent. 
And actually, God says, no, be content with what you have. So I realized what these guys were, as good as their advice, some of their advice was, they were blind guides that were slowly leading me into a pit of discontentment. So I unfollowed the whole lot of them and was just left with my previous Twitter feed of the Ukraine war and church leader chat. And I was much happier with that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I did. But again, it's, it's, we've got to be careful who we're following because sometimes we can follow people. We can listen to people. We can let people speak in their lives that are subtly okay. A lot of the stuff is fine, but actually they are leading us to a place that isn't good. I had a friend of mine a number of years ago who... Um, his wife left him. Uh, he'd some, done something very stupid. His wife left him, and um, he wanted to get back with her. He, he, you know, he, he'd said sorry. He wanted to forgive him or at least give him another chance. And I remember chatting with him and saying, who does your wife listen to? Who's, like, who's the person that she allows to speak into her life? He says, oh, she's so close with her mom. I was like, okay. Tell me about what her mom's like, your wife's mom. His wife's Christian. She says, oh, my wife's mom, she's not a Christian, um, She's, to be honest, she's pretty cynical about life and everything. I said, like, okay, so she speaks into your wife's life? Yeah. Okay, from what you know of your wife's mom, what advice is she, do you think she is giving your wife right now? She says, oh, I know she's saying, do not get back with him, do not forgive him, make him pay. That is what she is telling him. And your wife listens to your mom? Yeah. And I remember listening to that and thinking, oh man, that don't sound so good. <laughs> that really don't sound so good. But this lady had, had someone who was a, a blind guide speaking into her life, guiding her, giving her advice, and that was taking her to a place that was not going to be good, a place of unforgiveness, a place of, of revenge and bitterness. It was a blind guide. You know, uh, my wife is a, a, a relationship and family therapist, and she was reading a, a parenting book recently. We've got three kids. And honestly, I don't know if you ever read parenting books. This, the title of this parenting book is the grandest title of a book I have ever heard, right? I, I, the title of this book is a secular parenting book. Kid you not. The title is The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read. <laughs> Subtitle, And Your Kids Will Wish You Have Read. Okay, it's basically, and this is the best advice on parenting ever, 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 ever. So my, my wife, Elizabeth, she's reading it, and I'm saying, oh, how's the book going? And she's like, she took a few weeks to read it. She's like, yeah, it's okay. There's some good stuff in there, some good advice. And then I get, she gets near the end. I said, oh, do you think I should read it? Would it be helpful for me to read it? She says, no. I was like, what? She said, no. I was like, why? She says, well, even though there's lots of good stuff in there, the underlying premise of the book is just wrong. This is a secular uh, parenting expert who does not believe in original sin. She does not believe children are sinful. She believes, her underlying premise is, if, if kids turn, up messed up, turn out messed up, it's because of bad parenting. And the reality is, if you make a book like that your ultimate guide in life, what's going to happen is your kids are going to grow up and they're not going to turn out exactly the way you want them. And if they're at least a little bit messed up, what's going to happen, which is pretty much everyone, what's going to happen is you're going to blame yourself. You're going to feel massively guilty. Why? Because you think you failed because the only reason they're not the way you want them to be or not perfect is because you failed as a parent. doesn't take into consideration sin, original sin, all of that and what the Bible says. So it's interesting, stuff like that, it's, it's helpful, it's useful, there's good advice, but sometimes stuff like that subtly can lead us, they're blind guides that can lead us into a pit of guilt and despair and self-blame. So we've got to be careful what we're allowing to guide us in life. 
What we need is we need a guide that's not blind, but we need a guide who can see, yes, who can help us avoid falling into pits. Can anybody tell me who that might be? Jesus. Yes, the correct answer is always Jesus. Yeah, it'll be we did this this morning when I was preaching at the Heatons. I did, and the correct answer for every answer was Jesus. And then I did a, a question at the end, and it wasn't Jesus, and it weirded everyone out. Yeah, <laughs> But the correct answer is mostly Jesus in these. But yeah, Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our, our guide, you know? So when we get stuck into reading our Bibles, getting stuck into having some Bible reading notes that help us understand Jesus' teaching, we've got some good Christian books on the go. When we're speaking to other believers, other followers who can help guide us and give us good advice and point us to Jesus and point us to grace and point us to the gospel, these are the ways we allow Jesus to be our guide. Other guides, if they're not based on Jesus' teaching, they're blind. They, they might seem okay, and you might be able to glean some stuff from them, but ultimately, making them the ultimate guides in our life is going to lead us into a pit. Jesus is the only one that can see to be a guide that will help us to avoid falling into pits. So that's the first question I think is really helpful for us to think about. Who are we following? Who are we actually following in life? Second question I want us to think about is, what are our blind spots Jesus says in Luke 6, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now we all have blind spots, don't we? You know, you, you may be someone who thinks they're a really good listener, and then you speak to some of your friends, and they're like, they're not a good listener. They talk all the time and never listen at all. You know, it can be a blind spot. You might think you're a really caring person, and then, you, you know, you ask some of your friends, they're like, yeah, if you mean care for themselves. You know, we can, we can think we're good at certain things. We can think we're really patient, but actually, when you speak to people around us, we're not actually patient. We can all have blind spots, and, and it takes real courage and humility to ask some close friends of ours, hey, look, what weaknesses do I have that I can't see? What are some of the things I can't see? What are some of the blind spots I have? And I think what this parable is saying here is, is once we realize our own blind spots, we're then in a much humbler frame of mind to help others see theirs. You know, you don't come at it from a, a proud perspective when you've dealt with some of your issues, when you're helping someone figure out some of theirs. And you know, that's why Christian friends are so important in this. Good Christian friends are so important in this. I had a friend of mine uh, visit uh, me just this last week. He came down from Scotland, um, stayed for a few days. And he's also a church leader. And he shared a, a situation he's, he's dealing with in his church. And he shared the whole situation. I asked loads of questions. And then he basically was like, what am I not seeing, Andy? You know, is there anything I'm not seeing in this situation? And I was like, okay, well, actually, here's a few things you might need to focus on. And I did the same thing at a situation in my church. I shared it with him. I was like, hey, what am I not seeing? And he could share a few things with me as well. And we were able to help each other see our blind spots. Now, it's worth saying when you do that, do it with grace, you know? Neither of us showed up with our list of, you know, 10 things that are wrong with you. Okay, number one, you know, it's, it's about doing it with grace, and love, that's very important. See, good Christian friends help us to see our blind spots. And we can also help them see theirs too. And that helps us become more like Jesus. Jesus. Yes, correct answer. 
Now, it's just worth saying, those friendships don't develop overnight. Um, some of those friendships can take years to develop. Those friendships where you can really help each other look at your blind spots. Um, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure I have a friend like that. And if that is you, that's fine. My encouragement would be, don't worry too much about that. Just, just be one to someone else. And if you're thinking, how can I be a friend like that to someone else? Well, here's a real easy tip that gets you halfway, halfway there, okay? Meet with someone, ask them lots of open-ended questions about their lives, all right? And listen to the answers. And whenever you're listening to the answer and you feel tempted to give them some advice or say, oh, 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 the same thing happened to me, just kill those thoughts and ask another open-ended question. And just keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that and keep doing that. And you know what? If you keep doing that consistently over time, you will be a good friend to that person. I will tell you, you will be a good friend. I think one other thing I've realized when it comes to friendship as well is is figuring out what type of friendships you have So I always kind of think, if you think Jesus had 12 disciples, then he had like three really close disciples, and then he had one who was his absolute right-hand guy, that was Simon Peter. And I kind of think sometimes like that, thinking of our friendships a little bit like that, we might have 12 friends that are, they're all friends, they're good, you like to hang out with them. Then amongst that, there might be a smaller group of, of, say, five friends that are just a bit closer. And amongst that group of five, there's maybe three that are much closer, you can really share your life. And then there's one that's really close, you share everything with. And I think that's a really helpful thing to have. And what it does is it stops us placing too much weight on friendships that just can't hold that weight. You know, you, you don't want to put stuff on someone. It's just that, that's, that's not what we are, you know? We, you know. But I think that's a helpful thing I find. So good Christian friends are really important when it comes to helping us seeing our blind spots. So that's the second question. Third question I want us to think about is what's in our heart? What's in our heart? Jesus continues, next parable, says this, no good tree bears bad fruit. Okay, makes sense. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now it's worth saying the heart, we often think is about our feelings. That's normally what it's used to refer to in in our society. But back in ancient times when the Bible was written, the heart referred to all parts of human existence. Okay, so um, your physical existence, your emotional existence, your thought life, your choices, all of that, the heart was the center of all of that. The heart was, your heart was who you were, okay? The, the center of everything. And, and, and our heart, the Bible says, is what influences our behavior, which is why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, Jesus is pretty straight here in this parable. There's no kind of like nuance here. You know, there's no gray area. He's pretty straight. You either store up good in your heart or you store up evil. And whatever you store up on the inside, that's what will eventually come out. Now, I say eventually because it doesn't always seem like that at first. Now, um. 
My dad, who's here, he always gets nervous when I preach because I always like mention him. And um, he's like, oh gosh, be quiet. Don't stop talking about me. But my dad's here. My dad's an apple farmer. So he, I don't know how many thousands of apple trees he has. He's a huge harvest every year and um, uh, gets tons of apples. And then most of it goes off to Magners, Irish cider. Anybody have Magners? That's, yeah, that's my dad's apples. So there we go. Fun, fun fact for you. But one of the things I had to do growing up, and I, you know, I don't want my dad to correct me here, so one of the things I had to do was that I, I would, would help you know, pick some of the apples. I didn't do it as much as I should have, okay? So I'll just you know, say that to you, dad, all right? But I did help from time to time. And one of the things I'd do is you'd be picking the apples, and sometimes another job you'd have to do is the apples that had fallen on the ground because of the wind, you'd have to pick them up as well. And I remember numerous times you'd pick up an apple, and you'd go, you think, okay, we're going we're gonna to harvest it. You'd pick it up, and it would look fine, it would look green, look lovely, and then you'd squeeze it, and it would just disintegrate in your hand. It was completely brown and rotten on the inside. Look absolutely fine on the outside, but completely rotten on the inside. And then uh, my dad had this orchard. This orchard uh, it was close to our house with these big, old, gnarly, ugly-looking trees, really high up. And, um, and there was these apples that would grow in the, on these trees, and there were these tiny little apples and they weren't nice looking, they weren't shiny, they weren't really rosy or anything like that. They were a bit soft. It just didn't look very nice at all. And they're tiny. But they were the tastiest apples you have ever had in your life. And if someone, someone asked me a while back, hey, tell me about those apples, Andy. What variety were they? I want to get those apples. But they were the best apples ever. And, and we have that a little bit when it comes to our hearts, you know? Like we've all heard of, you know, People who've been, you know, people who stand up in front of church and they look like the model Christian, you know, the big pastor, they've got it all together, the person you think, oh, wow, they're such a good Christian. And then years later, it comes to light that the reality is they're angry, they're manipulative, they're a bully, they're deceitful, all this stuff comes out, really. And you're like, oh, my goodness, how do they not see that? They look so squeaky clean and shiny and good at the front, but like they had all this stuff. And the reality was they were, for years, this person was storing up evil in their hearts until it all came to head and it eventually came out and they couldn't hide it anymore. Then on the other hand, you often have people who, maybe they're not the people up at the front doing everything at the front, but actually what they're doing consistently over the years of their life, they're building up good, building up good in their hearts. And over years, they produce good fruit, good things. They bless many people and help many people. So we have these two kind of opposites. What's in your heart will always come out. See, naturally, our hearts are like bad trees, you know, because of sin, but ultimately producing bad fruit. But when we start to follow Jesus, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we start to take Jesus' teaching seriously. What happens is our hearts get transformed from bad trees into good trees that start to store up good fruit rather than bad fruit. They start to store up love instead of hate. Our hearts start to store up joy instead of cynicism. Our hearts start to store up patience instead of impatience. They start to store up kindness instead of stinginess. They start to store up goodness instead of judgmentalism. They start to store up faithfulness instead of fickleness. They start to store up gentleness instead of harshness. And they start to store up self-control instead of selfishness. A.K.A. The fruit of the Spirit, really. Our hearts start to produce the fruit that comes by the Spirit. And when that fruit, when that fruit starts growing in our lives, who do we become like? Jesus. Yes, not a rhetorical question. Yeah, I wanted an answer. Well done, Beth. And the answer is always Jesus. We do. But also, when that fruit starts to grow in our lives, people want to be with us. I mean, look at that list. When that's the fruit in our lives... That is attractive, 
People want that. People want to hang around it. People want to be with that. Okay, so that's what we want to see happen. That fruit growing in our lives. So fourth question. What are we going to do? Final question before we hand back to Dana. What are we going to do? Luke chapter 6, verse 47. Famous parable that Jesus taught. Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? What a... What a, a, a pertinent question for all of us. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus is basically saying here, look, put my words into practice, put my teaching into practice and your life will be like a, a, a life that, is, that has got a firm foundation on rock. So when the storms of life comes, you will, your life will stand firm. But if you don't put my words into practice, you're, you're going to be like a house which has no foundation. And you don't need to be a builder to understand that that's not going to end well. Storms of life come, it's going to collapse. So just listening to Jesus' teaching, right? And, and, and where do we normally listen to Jesus' teaching? Here, at church. Just listening to Jesus' teaching and being like, oh, that sounds good, but not putting it into practice throughout the rest of the week. What Jesus is saying here, that's not just pointless, He's saying it's dangerous because what happens when the storm comes? The person doesn't walk out of the house and walk off. No, the house collapses on them. You know, it's dangerous to do that. On the other hand, following Jesus' teaching, not just by nodding along, but by putting it into practice, that's the only solid foundation for our lives. Now, I'm not going to give you a list here of stuff to do, you know, stuff to right, put this all into practice. I mean, if you, if you want a list of that, go read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. You know, read the stuff in there. Take it seriously and think, okay, how can I put this into practice in my life? You know, stuff like giving to the needy. You know, you read it in the Sermon on the Mount think, okay, how can I give to the needy? Um, it says in the Sermon on the Mount, pray. Think, okay, how can I put that into practice? How can I find some time to pray? It says, love your enemy. Okay, okay. Who does not like me? How can I do something good for them? You know, it's, it's this kind of stuff of like, okay, I'm not just reading. I'm not going, oh, that's a good idea. I'm not going, okay, how, how can I do this? How can I put this into practice? You know, it says, keep your word, you know, keep your oaths. How can I make sure that when I promise to do something, I will do it? That's what putting it into practice looks like. Now, I'm not going to go into all the stuff, you know, all that stuff, but I think just picking a few things and thinking, oh, how can I put this into practice in my life? I, I, I kind of call these Jesus habits, just developing a few Jesus habits, things that you do just because you're a Christian. You've read it in the Bible and you're like, yeah, I'm going to try and do that. And the reality is when we, when we do this, when we live a life trying to put Jesus' teaching into practice in our lives, now we don't always get it right and we don't always get it complete, but when we're trying to do that through the, through the Holy Spirit's help, what it does is it builds up a strength in us for when the hard times come. So that when suffering and pain and struggles come, we're strong enough that we can endure them, that we can get through them. And those times will come. Um, a friend of mine, her, her, her parents, 
she, uh, they're, they're Christians, they're in their 70s. But this last six months, they have just endured, both of them separately, have just endured incredible chronic pain for various reasons. And actually, a, a lot of disability. They haven't been able to move. They've been on they the highest doses of painkillers possible. They're waiting for operations. They've just had an absolutely horrid six months of pain, debilitating, awful massively hampers their quality of life, massively hampers what they can do. Um, oftentimes, they just lie on, on, on the bed, just can't move. I mean, awful time. Lovely Christian people, um, the, the parents of this friend of mine. But, you know, I was thinking about it. But they've practiced the teachings of Jesus for years and years and years. And, you know, I really think what that's done is it's built up a, a strength in them so that, they don't collapse when this hardship has come. And they haven't. It, could be, it would have been so easy for them to just collapse in a cloud of bitterness and resentment, as happens with a lot of people. Why do I have to go through it? You know, but they haven't. They've stayed hopeful. They've stayed joyful through it all. So I suppose what I want to encourage you is these practices of Jesus that we practice, the Jesus habits that I like to say, just, they don't just benefit you in the here and now. What they do is they build strength in you for the future, in a future moment when you're going to need that strength. You know, so reading your Bible isn't just like, oh, yeah, great, I get something for it now. No, it builds strength. Pray, all these kind of things build strength for the future. You know, there's a, a lady in my old church back in Northern Ireland. Again, she's about 70. Her, uh, her husband died of cancer a few, few years ago. And I was chatting to her recently. She's like, it's just, I'm just really lonely. You know, it's just really lonely. She's got friends, she's got people in church, but it's just the person she's lived her whole life with is gone. Really hard. But you know what? She's not been thrown off course. She's not fallen into despair. Why? Honestly, I believe this because for many years, consistently, she's put Jesus' words into practice throughout her life. And what that's done is it's strengthened her for when this tough season of life has come. So I just want to encourage you with that. The small things done consistently over time, over time, lead to really good stuff that help us. So just as we, as we, as we come to finish, when we talk about becoming like Jesus, and I just want to go through those four questions for us to think about again as we finish. Who are we following? Who are we actually following? Being honest about that. And who do we want to follow? What are our blind spots? What's in our heart? And what are we going to do? Now, I was thinking, of, I was thinking this morning about how I end this. Um, and normally, if you ever listen to me preach, I always like to end on a happy note. I always like to end on, Jesus, yeah, for Jesus, heaven, awesome. And, you know, worship leaders love it. It leads perfectly into worship. Everyone's happy. Everyone's joyous. The anchor doesn't need to lift anyone, although I think, Gabby, you'd be great at it. You know, the, the room's not all, like, despondent and sad. Like, yes, it's normally what I do. But I'm going to have to go a bit sad for now. Is that all right? For just a few minutes. Everybody's like, no. <laughs> go happy. Go happy. Because I think... The reality is, like we've been looking at this sermon series last few weeks, and we've been looking at, at, at the Heatons as well. The reality is, following Jesus' teaching, it's not a stroll in the park, is it? You know, it's not easy. Jesus never said it was easy. It, it makes us uncomfortable, and it challenges 
our, our beliefs. It challenges what we think. It goes against our instincts. You know, denying yourself. I mean, that doesn't come naturally, does it? Or loving your enemies. Again, it doesn't come naturally. So it makes you ask the question, and maybe I shouldn't ask this in church because maybe I should be towing the line in church, but, you know, it makes you ask the question, why bother? I mean, it sounds difficult, doesn't it? Why make the effort to be a disciple of Jesus? Why make the effort to do all this stuff? And I was thinking about this this morning, and I think it's because, well, there's no alternative. <laughs> there's no other option. All other philosophies of, of how to live life, they're all dead ends. None of them lead anywhere. They're like being led by a blind person and ending up in a pit. That's what every other way to live life ends like. You know, I went to the Trafford Center yesterday afternoon. Uh, I took my two little girls there. I was trying to kill time, basically. I know, Trafford Center on a Saturday afternoon, the stupidest thing ever. There are... You know, there were gazillions of people. Now, I'm with these two little girls. I've got nowhere to be. I'm not interested in shopping. I'm just trying to kill time, and they want to go to this fountain. I'm like, I'll go to the fountain. Okay, fine. So I am like the slowest walking person in the entire Trafford Center. I'm walking these two little girls like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, but the thing is, when you walk really slow and you've no interest in shopping, you do a lot of people watching. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people to watch on a Saturday afternoon in the Trafford Center. I mean, hundreds of people like streaming past us every minute. And I don't know what it is. You can, I could just tell. You can tell so many people there. Like they're, they're searching for, for, for real um, contentment and satisfaction in life by trying to look like the people they follow on Instagram. You know? So many people. And you can just tell by looking at them. They're trying to get some sort of fulfillment in life by buying tons of really expensive stuff. You know? And you just... There was something of... I don't know, my heart was a little bit broken because of the, the lostness that there is of people just trying to get life in some way. And, and, and they're all dead ends. They're all blind guides that lead to a pit. And there's sadness in that. The reality is Jesus is the only way to life. He's the only way to life. And, but that doesn't make his teachings any easier. You know, when, when the disciples were, were with Jesus, Jesus did some teaching, and loads of people were like, Jesus, this is too hard. We are off. We're going to the Trafford Center to shop instead. Okay, much easier. All right? But they said we're off. And Jesus, instead of diluting the message for his disciples, yeah, I don't want you guys to go. No, he doesn't. He, said, he looks at them and says, do you guys want to go too? You know, and, and Peter looks back at Jesus, and he's like, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, where do we go? Like, you're the only one who has the words of eternal life. And that's the reality. Jesus is the only one who gives life. He's the only one who gives real life. He's the only one who gives eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, you know, when we, when we think about Jesus, and this is when we get into the happy bit, all right? When we think about Jesus, when we think about his humility, I don't know, maybe this is just me, when I think about the humility of Jesus, when we think about his love for us, when we think about the compassion he has for us, when we think about his sacrifice for us, I don't know about you, but when I'm all over that, it does something to me, you know? I know we've, lots of us have heard it a million times before, but it does something, you know? One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, okay? Now, unlike Tim, I don't normally cry in preaches, all right? But if I was going to cry, it would be in this passage, all right? Tim and I have a bit of banter about crying. Anyway, it's fine. We're, we're friends, okay? We get, you know, blind spot. Anyway, but... Um, 
if I'm going to cry, it's going to be at this, this, this passage because it's just so moving. It's about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, okay, so he's God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What humility there. Rather, he made himself nothing, okay? Not next to nothing, nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God became human. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, let me ask you, can you think of anyone more worth following than that? Not a rhetorical question. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is not the... Well done, Adam, for speaking up. I know you never like speaking in front of people. Um, but well done for speaking up, Adam. No, this was the answer I told you at the start, which is not Jesus, is no, basically. All right, I'm going to ask it again. Can you think of anyone more worth following than that? No. Adam's still saying Jesus, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Anyone more worth giving your life for than that? No, me neither. He's worth everything. He's worth everything. And if we give him everything, if we give him our lives, we offer everything to him, we are not going to be disappointed. Because only Jesus is the words of life. Only Jesus is the words of eternal life. Only Jesus can bring us to that amazing, amazing future. Only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Yeah, that's the happy ending. That's the happy end of all my sermons. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 